people ask me all the time, how have you written 22 books? I always give them the same answer, one word at a time. That's how I wrote 22 books, one word at a time. And if you would start writing one word at a time, you could write 22 books. <laughs> you could write 40 books, you could write 50 books. Anybody can do whatever they want to. How'd you lose 100 pounds? One pound at a time. I didn't lose 100 pounds, but I'm saying if somebody were to ask, how'd you lose 100 pounds? One pound at a time. Just focus on the next pound. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a repeat guest. He happens to be one of the smartest thought leaders around. This is a man who truly has been able to create expertise in multiple fields of endeavor, and he's got something brand new that he's created that I'm super excited to have him share with you. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Chris Widener. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. I swear, you give me the best introductions. <laughs> I feel so good about myself after you're done talking about me. That's awesome. We aim the please. We aim the please. That's a beautiful thing. So, Chris, longtime listeners to the show know who you are because you've you've been a guest here three previous times. Uh, but some of our new listeners may not know you and your story. And my listener is an entrepreneur. They're a hero of free enterprise. They're somebody who's got a dream. They are putting it out there and they're wanting to make a difference for the world and they want to make a difference for their family and the people that they care about. And they listen to the show to learn from you, but before they can truly open their hearts to you, they need to get to know you and then they need to get to know your backstory. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Chris Widener? Well, I started out by being a really bad Chris Widener. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, uh, my dad uh, was making $90,000 a year in 1969. And in 1970, when I was four years old, he died. Uh, he got cancer and died. He had very little life insurance. Uh, I think he had $30,000 worth of life insurance. We were living in a big, beautiful home that recently sold for about $2 million in the Seattle area uh, in a in a kind of a swanky golf and country club. And that began a downward spiral. I ended up, uh, long story short, 28 homes, 11 different schools, shipped off to live with relatives twice, trouble, troubled kid. I made most of my money growing up scalping tickets uh, outside of sporting events in Seattle, uh, betting the ponies at Longacre's Horse Track, which isn't even still there. Now it's the Emerald Downs Horse Track. And then uh, I became a Christian the summer before my senior year of high school. Got my life turned around, had some some uh, a youth minister in particular, who I'm actually going to talk to later on today, a good old boy from Montana, put his size 11's cowboy boots up my butt and told me God had a plan for me and uh, sent me off to college, uh, got a degree in youth and family work. Uh, spent a little bit of time as a youth minister and then as a pastor, which really trained me to be able to do a lot of uh, a, a lot of content creation. And one of the things that I did was when I was starting churches, which is what I did, I was a church planter. I didn't go into existing churches. Uh, I had to work. And so I, I started speaking and writing. I created a publishing company. Uh, that publishing company ended up, we were doing between 15 and $20 million a year selling audio programs from self-help and business experts through Costco and Sam's Club. And I began to write and speak. And in 2002, I began to do it full time. I left being a pastor and uh, went to work for John Maxwell, ghost wrote for John Maxwell. I ended up being asked to write with Jim Rohn. I wrote his last book, uh, The Twelve Pillars with him. And then I ended up with a TV show in Dallas called Made for Success. And uh, the network wanted the legendary Zig Ziglar to do a show called True Performance. And so they asked me if I would co-host. Zig and his son Tom asked me if I would co-host that show, one of the great privileges that I've I've had. In 2004, my best friend ran for the governor of the uh, state of Washington. And he said, since you're the professional speaker, will you help me uh, with my speeches? And I did. I got involved very extensively. I spent four or five days a week traveling on the campaign with him again in 2008 when he ran 
again. And then uh, in 2010, I ran for the U.S. Senate myself. Uh, lasted uh, about six months in a primary. I kind of saw the handwriting on the wall that, uh, you know, was, there was like 12 people in the race. And so I, I just figured the math wasn't going to work out based on my my positions. And, you know, it's just sort of, it's it's too, too deep to kind of go in here. But I ended up getting out of that race. But it was my foray into politics. Shortly before that, I had started a, a thing called Positively Republican, which we built over a million people on Facebook and uh, eventually started a website to go along with it. We were doing about $100,000 a month in ad revenue on that site, sold it in 2015, uh, September 2015 in the run-up to the uh, election. I knew somebody would want to pay us a, a tidy sum for that. Uh, uh, and use it in, in their own coverage. They killed the website, but kept the, the Facebook page as a traffic generator. And so I was sort of out of politics for the last six years. And then just with everything that happened here in the U.S. Uh, over the last year, I thought, I'm going to do this again. So I launched a new site uh, 21 days ago, and uh, we've had almost 300,000 page views in the first 21 days. So that's my latest uh, my latest thing. I still do my my speaking. I still do, of course, now we're doing mostly virtual, but um, I still do speaking. I just uh, released my 22nd book called Lasting Impact, How to Create a Life and Business that Live Beyond You, and loving it, living here in Scottsdale, but uh, we're moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee, a, a whole new adventure at, at age 55. I turned 55 here in a couple months, and we're in for a new adventure. So always with me, lots of stuff going on. Wow, that's quite the story. So to look at it from the lens of a thought leader in creating thought leadership, you're somebody who had quite the life story. You utilize that to better yourself. You became a Christian, you became a pastor, and then you got into the, into the self-help field and you got into the speaking field. You, you sold books, you sold programs, you did a lot of things uh, on uh, television back in the day when television was really relevant. And you had quite the speaking career. I met you when you spoke uh, at an ACN international conference, right? You and I had connected on Facebook, and I, I said, hey, I'm an ACN. And you said, I'm actually speaking at your next conference. I said, come on. You said, yep. And, and that's how we met. I met you there when you did your talk. Yep. There were 20,000 people there, and yours was the most compelling talk. And uh, I thought it was absolutely fantastic that I got to know this amazing uh, motivational speaker who writes books with Jim Rohn. And shortly after all that, I'd been uh, in the fitness field myself. Um, my life took a turn. And the turn that it took was that my then wife decided she didn't want to be married to me anymore. And it, it put me on a, a journey of personal discovery. I I was in a, a space where I was a, a victim about it for a while, but eventually with the help of some good men, I got into some men's groups and got some coaches. I turned all that around and, and I became empowered again. And the moment that I did that, that I energetically stopped blaming her, she called me 10 minutes later saying, hey, I, I'm sorry, I've been, uh, I've been trying to make you suffer. Uh, uh, this is wrong, you know, even though we're not together, I still care about you and uh, I'm going to make this painless as possible for you going forward. And she did. We were divorced in no time at all. And we uh, right now have the best relationship of uh, any of the relationships that I have in my life. She's the easiest person to deal with. But what you did for me is you put me on a path to get into the industry of thought leadership. And I started to do coaching and write books and I do my podcast. And I've always been fascinated by you because you've done several different things. You've done a podcast. You've done programs for men. You've done programs for large organizations like ACN. You've done one-on-one -on -one coaching for entrepreneurs. You've done politics. And now you've got a new website. That's the very definition of a thought leader because you're, you're like a bit of a renaissance man. And I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on this long-winded diatribe that I just went on uh, about how you have thought about your own expertise and your own thought leadership and, and how to put it out there in the world and why it's been relatively successful for you to do it in multiple fields. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that, um, especially the Renaissance man. I take that as a as a compliment, uh, especially because one of the things that I've come to know quite a bit about is is uh, the Renaissance in Italy, and particularly my best selling book about Michelangelo. You, you know, it was kind of funny back I don't know twenty years ago or so. The National Speakers Association uh, they rebranded themselves as an association of experts who speak. That's what they called themselves. We are experts who speak. And I immediately went to some of the leaders in NSA and I said, if we are going to be experts who speak, I would like to propose that no one can categorize themselves as uh, in, in any more categories than two. And they said, why? And I said, I just don't believe anybody can become an expert in more than two, maybe three things. But, you know, if you go to most speakers' websites, it says, I speak on, you, you know, and it's a list of like 20 different things, leadership, customer service, diversity, motivation. And I just don't believe you can become an expert. I think you could probably write a pretty good speech about it, but you can't be an expert. And so when I think about my expertise, I would say that it probably is uh, leadership and politics uh, would be the two things that I have spent, you know, the old proverbial 10,000 hours on. Um, and uh, certainly not the world's expert on it, but, uh, but you know, certainly have done my deep work in both leadership and, um, and politics. And so those are the two things that I would consider myself an expert in. There's things that I dabble in that I think I know a lot about that I challenge people to think about. For example, uh, I'm also divorced. My, my wife and I, my new wife and I, um, we wrote a book. She was also divorced. We wrote a book called Better the Second Time. And mm -hmm. so um, you know, somebody said to us, well, you know, how can you write this book? We launched it basically right after we got married. And they're like, you know, let's give it 20 years. Then you can write a book on it. And I just tell people, <laughs> oh, we're, we don't we don't position this book as us being experts. We position this book as this is what we realized about our first marriages and about ourselves that we needed to improve. We wrote this book in the run up to getting married. Uh, it was written before we got married because it was the things that we wanted to think about. And we knew that we had to change. For example, you know, the first chapter is about uh, fixing yourself before you go into a second marriage. Or as I used to say, still say, if my first wife didn't like it, my second wife probably wouldn't like it either. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I had to deal with a few of those things, right? So you don't bring that garbage in. But so there are things that I, I'm, I'm well versed in, things that I'm interested in, things that I can talk about, but not necessarily an expert. If you want to talk about leadership, talk about politics, uh, I'm happy to do that. And, uh, and I would say I might not be a grand master at it, but I'm, I would certainly consider myself a, an expert in it. You know, that's, that's a very perceptive series of comments that you just made. Matt Church, who is a fellow whose work I followed and I consider him a mentor, he's the fellow who created Thought Leaders Global in Australia. And here's what Matt says about thought leadership. He said that Thought leadership comes from and is derived from the things you've struggled with in your life. So mm. it's a bit more elegant than I used to be fat, now I'm thin, so I can teach you. I used to be poor, now I'm rich, so I can teach you. It's more like that which I have struggled with gives me the life experience to be able to share wisdom with you that could help you navigate those struggles better. And Mm. I, I thought that was really, really uh, powerful and profound because Matt says that you can actually, as a thought leader, develop some level of thought leadership, if you will, within anywhere from four to nine fields. Now, nine's a lot, right? Um, yeah. and, and some of those fields overlap. So as an example, you talk about leadership. One of the things that I'm very passionate about is I'm passionate about winning, right? I wrote my book, Finish Line Thinking, How to Think and Win Like a Champion. I worked with a couple Olympic gold medalists. My fiance, she is a three-time Guinness World Record holder for running 12 hours on a treadmill. So I've had wow. some... Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> I did the first hour the first time she did it. She did it three times. Just think about that. <laughs> so, wow. so I love winning. Winning's a very powerful subject for me. So to me, people who are into winning are high performers and they're leaders, right? So do I also have some expertise in the arena of leadership? Yeah, I like to think I do. Um, 
But to me, winning and leadership kind of sort of belong in a similar space, if you will. So I've got different things I know about winning and different things that I know about leadership, in particular thought leadership, but they both can apply to the same kind of person seeking the same kind of outcome. Does that resonate? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly I could say that leadership uh, is politics is all about leadership, right? It's it's how you, it, politicians lead and uh, they set agendas and strategies and those kind of, or at least they're supposed to half the time they're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah. at but least half the time. To. In theory, <laughs> in theory, they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your new venture because I'm very excited about it because, you know, full disclosure, um, Chris, you've been gracious enough to uh, give me an opportunity to to write for the site. And I've uh, written a couple of articles and I'm planning on writing more. But I think it's super exciting. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so it sort of stems from a, a number of different things. Um, one of the things we hear all the time now is we just need unity. We need to get rid of the division. We need to find unity. And that is, that's wonderful. And, and I would agree it would be great if we could be unified. But I see a, a very distinct problem that most people don't recognize. Back in the 1950s, the Republicans and the Democrats they essentially wanted to go to the same destination. They just disagreed on how to get there, right? You know, you can remember John F. Kennedy speaking, I believe it was before the uh, New York Economic Club or somebody, talking about the way to increase revenues and, and those things is to reduce taxes, right? Now, the, the left, uh, you know, the Democrats, all they want to do is raise taxes. And, and back in the 1950s, the left and the right, they they – they agreed on the destination. They disagreed on how to get there. So it would be sort of like if you lived in Seattle and you wanted to go to Los Angeles, you could take I-5 straight down there, but your friend wants to take the, you know, the Highway 1, the, the, the scenic route. But both in both cases, you both want to go to Los Angeles. Today, we have two people in a car. One wants to leave Seattle and go to Los Angeles. The other wants to leave Seattle and go to Chicago. And you can't be both you can't get to the same destination if the destination is different. So here's the problem today. Today, we don't want to go to the same destination. We have one side that wants to go to uh, nihilism, socialism, communism. Uh, it's based in a humanistic worldview. You have another Gen and these are sweeping generalities, obviously. I understand that. With 330 million people in America, you, you know, obviously there's lots of nuance. But generally speaking, then you have others who come from a what I call a traditional Judeo-Christian worldview. And, um, uh, and for example, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was not a Christian. He was, for the most part, probably a deist. Uh, and yet... If you brought Thomas Jefferson into today's world, he would his head would spin. Why? Because even though he wasn't a Christian per se, he his perspective and his worldview came from a Judeo-Christian worldview, which if you brought him into modern day, his head would spin because he'd look at, at you know half the stuff that's being said or promoted or done or legislated, and he would say, This is ridiculous because it wouldn't fit his worldview. So my belief is we are never going to have unity at this point because the worldviews are in conflict and they are incapable of living in the same world. For example, Democrats want to move towards socialism. Ultimately, I think there's a lot of them that would love communism and the Republicans tend to be free market capitalistic society. And you take a look at even if you drill down into some of the issues, some of the more um, potent or uh, divisive issues, neither side is going to agree to give up anything because they view their position as a moral imperative. Let's take um, pro-life, pro-choice. You are never going to get a pro-choice person to agree that there should be restrictions on abortion for the most part. Why? Because their moral imperative is that women should be able to do whatever they want to do with their bodies, including terminate a pregnancy. Uh, on the flip side, you are never going to get a pro-life person to agree that you should be able to kill a baby. And, uh, and so 
and they view it as a moral imperative to protect the baby. Then you get into all this sort of nuance and and what I call intellectual disingenuousness, wherein uh, a question I asked the other day as it relates to to pro-life is, why is it that if a woman who's six months pregnant walks into an abortion clinic, it's okay? But if instead she was walking into a bank and a robber was leaving and shot her and killed both her and the, the, the growing baby inside of her, he would be charged not with one murder, but two murders. So if a robber kills the baby, mother kills the baby, it's a choice. And, and again, I know there's probably lots of people that have lots of different ideas on this, but that's the kind of disingenuous intellectualism that we've got to get around um, because it just frankly doesn't make sense. It's not a baby if the, if, the, if the robber kills it and a cluster of cells if the mother kills it. It's the exact same thing in both situations, but we put a, a different moral view on it. The other suggestion that I would say, and also a divisive issue, is the Second Amendment. You know, the right to, to bear arms, keep and bear arms. They both view their side as a moral imperative, and they both have their rationale for it, right? Uh, the left wants to get rid of all guns because, uh, you know, and they use school shootings and things like that and, and, and the death and the murder rate and all these kinds of things. We just need to get rid of guns. The problem is, is that the cities in America that have the most strict gun laws are the most deadly cities in America. Why? Because as the old saying goes, uh, when you outlaw guns, only the outlaws have the guns. And of course, you go to a Second Amendment person and they're like, you're not taking my guns from me. Or as I think was made famous with uh, Charlton Heston when he ran the, the NRA, he said, you can take this gun out of my cold, dead hands. So they both view it as a moral imperative, which doesn't allow for unity. Because they look at the other side and they think they're crazy or evil or, you know, whatever sort of terminology they want to use. So my site, Politicrossing, is what I call the intersection of faith and politics. It is a site that is not a religious site or a Christian site, but it is a site that is informed by a Judeo-Christian worldview. And, um, and so that's the perspective that we, that we take. I got to tell you, I think it's brilliant. Uh, there is really no site quite like it in the marketplace. And in my opinion, those people who believe what you believe, who have the same worldview, are going to be very attracted to it. And I, I want to maybe take a step back. While I agree with you that um, when it comes to the uh, politician class, the worldviews of the politicians in power, especially in Washington, are completely and diametrically opposed. I think there's a lot of Americans who are Democrats whose worldview is still very much pro-American. In other words, it's still very much in favor of a, a traditional vision of America. They haven't really caught on that the people that are representing them, especially those representing them in Washington, D.C., have a completely different worldview from them. And for example, this— That actually goes across—that goes across party, too. It does. You know, I just wrote an article yesterday saying the corruption uh, the corruption is is across parties, right? There are, there are the left and the right, I mean, Republican and Democrat— um, there are people who are fighting against the American people. In fact, I wrote an article the other day about the one lesson I learned from radio host Todd Herman. For those of you who listen to Rush Limbaugh, uh, Todd is one of the most um, uh, he, he's subs for Rush a lot. Rush has cancer right now, and uh, I'm the one who got uh, Todd into radio back in 2014. I asked him to co-host a, a radio show with me in the Seattle area, where we started out by subbing for. Um, ben Shapiro. And one of the things that Todd always used to say was, Chris, it's not right against left. It's not Republican against Democrat. It's us versus them. And I used to argue that with him a lot. And I have he has finally won me over after five or six years. I finally have realized, especially seeing the way some of the political class on the Republican side treated those who who they should have been on the same side with, but instead they view us as us versus them. You know, that's very true. So I take that back. That that that's true across across both parties. But 
Well, I do agree with you, though. I do agree with you that there, there are a lot of Democrats who, who, if you were to get them away from politics or talking about a specific politician and said, do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. If you give them check boxes, they would sound pretty pro-America. But the problem is, is that they don't do their due diligence and they believe Democrats when they speak. And, and Joe Biden has proven this just one day after another, after taking office, I saw the I saw the guy who runs the Wisconsin Union for uh, oil workers or gas and oil workers or something like that. He got interviewed the day after the executive order killed the Keystone Pipeline, and he looked like he looked like he just lost his entire family in a car accident. And uh, and and he was like, you know, this is fifty thousand jobs and maybe a million jobs across the U.S. You know, when you talk about Oklahoma and Texas and and um, North Dakota and all these places where they're going to shut down fracking and oil and, and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, he's just shell-shocked by what happened because they all believed that Joe was telling the truth. No, man, come on, man, I'm not going to do that. And then literally on day one, just completely lied to them, flat out, stone cold lied to them. And, um, and I think these folks are kind of going, wow, what, what happened here? Um, well, what happened was, was, uh, you believed a guy who said he had the same vision of America as you do, but instead he has a very different uh, view, or at least the people who are pulling the strings have a very different view exactly. of where you want to go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, a few years ago, there was a, um, uh, a woman who became the first Latina governor of New Mexico. Susana Martinez was her name. And she was a Republican. And mm -hmm. she did an interview with a uh, an outlet. And she said that she started off as a prosecutor who was a Democrat. And then she had a friend who said, I want you to run for office as a Republican. And she just laughed at her friend and said, what are you talking about? I'm a Democrat. I'm not going to run for office as a Republican. And she says, okay, tell you what, why don't we, why don't you and I meet for, for lunch and let's have a chat, okay? Because, you know, I, I, I think maybe, maybe there's something that, that you're not quite seeing. She says, okay. She brought her husband. They sat down. And her friend sat with her and asked her about a dozen questions, uh, you know, about her views on particular issues. By the time she had finished answering those questions, she looked at her husband and she said, huh, I guess we're Republicans. We just didn't know it. And she says, I got to be honest with you. I'm a little uncomfortable knowing that I'm a Republican because I've always been taught that Republicans don't like Latino people, right? Uh, but you know what? The truth of the matter is their values line up with my values. And so Susanna Martinez switched parties and, you know, the rest is history. She ran for governor and she became the first uh, Latina governor uh, in New Mexican New Mexico state history. Uh, and she ran as a Republican. And this was a smart, well-educated woman. There's a lot of folks like this who, if they sat down with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis and they got away from social media for a while... I got to believe, not, not that I'm saying they're going to be Republican, but I am saying a lot of them are going to be uh, lining up with pro-American policies, pro-American politicians. And your friend who said it's not about left or right, Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, it's about us versus them. It's about those who believe in the traditional values of America, which are freedom, free enterprise, freedom of expression, uh, freedom of religion, you know, the right to bear arms, uh, and, and all the things that make America great, that have made America a beacon for freedom, not just to Americans, but to people around the globe, if that is something that people truly understood was the case, they would all line up with that. And a politician who understands that could be very, very successful. Oh, absolutely. Like, look at Donald Trump. In, Don in 2016, the, the, the most Latino county in America is a small county on the border between Texas and Mexico, uh, like 90% Hispanic, Latino. And um, uh, in the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton won by 30 points, won by 30 points. So whatever that would be, uh, 65, 65-35 or something like that is what exactly what it was. In 2020, Donald Trump won that county by five points. And, and I think that what happened was we finally had a president who 
who upheld those values of, of, of Americanism. And I've been toying around with writing an article. I've kind of got the quote and I want to write it, and uh, but I got to figure out how to explain it best. But the, the, the idea is, is that not every citizen of the United States is an American. And not every American is a citizen of the United States. Mm. When you looked at some of these Trump rallies that were going on all around the world, they weren't really Trump rallies. People are like, you're so in love with Donald Trump and you're a cult for Donald Trump and, and all this. And I, and I just say, no, it, it's just I'm just going to get behind the guy. If it would have been Bugs Bunny that showed up and did and said the same thing that Donald Trump <laughs> did, I would have followed Bugs Bunny. I, I don't care. The person is irrelevant. Um, what's, what's relevant is the idea of promoting the American ideal. And the American ideal can be upheld by people all around the world. There are lots of Americans who will never be a citizen of the United States. But when you look at these rallies for freedom, this is what it's about. It's about freedom. It's about self-determination. And there's people, you know, we, we rally here in America and we just get called names and, and you know, a little bit of silence culture. There's people that are rallying around America, uh, around the world for freedom, and they suffer for it. And the those are the real Americans. Well, you know, um, you and I spoke about the Iranian wrestler Navid Afghari, and uh, he was yeah, exactly. executed by the regime. Uh, and, you know, he was executed supposedly for killing a member of the security services. Now, he denies it. He was tortured. And he says that, no, he didn't do that. His family said he didn't do that. But he was coerced into signing a confession so they wouldn't go after his family. And this young man was just demonstrating for the people, with the people, to say, hey, people want jobs. They need food. They need bread. And for that, he paid with his life. And now con contrast that with some American athletes who've jumped up with, without even understanding the facts and and go and say, oh, the police did this, the police did that. And listen, I'm not in favor of uh, police misbehavior. <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I've had a couple of interactions with the police. A couple of them were my fault, you know, uh, but <laughs> there were there were, there were were cases in which, which it wasn't, I mean, I, I, I didn't get arrested when I was younger, but, you know, there there were also cases where there were police who, you know, didn't act appropriately, and, 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 and that's not cool. I'm not in favor of that. And certainly anybody who doesn't treat the public with respect needs to be brought to account, you know, and I, and I think that that happened. For example, what happened to that, that young man, George Floyd, that was, that was terrible. It was terrible. That man should not have put his full weight on his neck. It's ridiculous. Should have happened for any reason. And and that, that man paid for his life. Now, whether you say he did it deliberately or not, it doesn't matter. There's consequences to actions and he should be brought to account. He is being brought to account. He is he is going to be made to pay a price for his actions. But you look at athletes in North America and they jump on trendy topics and go, oh, I'm against this. Look at how brave I am. You're not brave. You're doing something that everybody agrees with that the corporations agree with, the culture agrees with, there is no risk to you taking that stand. Zero. You know, and they're American athletes who are really not taking a risky stand whatsoever. They're just taking a trendy stand and they're getting a virtue signaling type of pat on the back. While this young man in Iran, he took a real stand. There was a risk to the stand he took and he ultimately paid for it with his life. You know, yeah, and he's the kind of person that I think would fit your definition of a man who would never be a citizen but is an American. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, America is an idea. Uh, it it happens to also be a country, and we call it the United States of America. And you can you can become a citizen of it. But America was really an idea. You know, if you think about anything, it all starts as an idea. Microsoft started as an idea in someone's head. Uh, the cell phone started in the you know in the, as an idea in someone's head. What if we cut the cord and we could do this wirelessly? How would that work out? I have a friend of mine, John Stanton, who's worth a few billion dollars now because he was in on the beginning of that uh, of that thing. You know, well, America. Think about it. Somebody, somebody said. What if we were to get in a boat and take a bunch of people and go across the, the ocean and find a place where we didn't have a king, where we could go and and be our own selves and self-determination and, you know, self-governance and all of these kinds of things? It, it, Americanism is an idea.
And, uh, and that's what I love about it. And there are people all around the world who live according to those ideas. Amen, amen. I'm a champion for freedom. I do this podcast because I'm a champion for freedom. And my listener is an entrepreneur who's a champion for freedom and free enterprise. And that's why they listen to this podcast. So I'm very grateful to have you, you know, clear up the distinctions between someone who's a, a citizen versus someone who's an American. I think that's very, very powerful. So let's get back to the business end of Politicrossing. So talk yeah. to me about how this is a business and how it can potentially be a wonderful business. Yeah, actually, um, we were when when Todd Herman and I owned uh, our previous website that we sold. It was strictly ad revenue. Everything was ad revenue, and we made anywhere on a typical month we would make anywhere between eighty thousand dollars a month, and I think a high of about one hundred and fifteen thousand, maybe one hundred and eleven thousand, was the most we ever made in any month. And it was kind of a sweet deal because we had a couple of young tech guys that we gave 15% of the profit to to run the whole thing. So literally, Todd and I, the only work that we did on it was on the last day of the month, uh, we would we would call each other and say, well, there's uh, there's $100,000 in the bank after we paid everybody. Let's leave 10 in there and we'll each take 45. And he's like, okay, nice. see you later. And, and off. <laughs> so – Ad revenue is a little bit tighter now, but the way the economics work is we make about $8 to $12, maybe a low of $5 per thousand views from ad revenue. So if a thousand people come to our website, we will make between eight, on average, about $8. Uh, we pay our writers a fifty per thousand views. Now, somebody might say, well, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you can drive a lot of traffic to it, um, that adds up pretty quick. Our highest paid writer, Todd and my highest paid writer, was a 25-year-old uh, year old stay-at-home mom who had two kids under the age of five, and when she put them down for naps, she wrote articles for us. She knew our audience better than anybody. I think the least I ever paid her in a month was $5,000, and the most most I ever paid her was $11,800 in one month for writing articles while her kids nap. Um, and so, you know, she, she, she was really good. We had some writers that were making $500 a month. And I would say the average writer was probably making 1200 to 1500 a month. You know, they were writing one or two articles a week. This woman was writing articles, sometimes two or three in a day. And of course we had a million person Facebook page to drive traffic from. So we would put our articles up on the website and then we, our team that we paid the 15% to, they would take those articles, put them on social media, uh, on our website. And we were posting 48 times a day, every half hour on the half hour. And we were generating up to about, up to about 20 million page views a month. Um, yeah, about 20 million page views a month. At one point, our Alexa score was about 2,300, which means we were the 2,300th best trafficked website in America. Now, uh, anything under anything under a hundred thousand is is really really good in a in an Alexa score. Um, so we're starting over. Only this time, we're going to have a mixture. We have ad revenue. We've cut a, an affiliate deal with a Second Amendment t-shirt clothing company. We make $5 on every t-shirt that is sold. And all we do is put an ad up. They click on it. They go through. They order. And they ship us the money. We're going to do, you know, conservatives. They like, you know, you know. Probably we could do bug out gear, you know, prepper stuff. Um, sure. Lots of little things that you can sell to, to, to folks. Eventually, as the traffic gets bigger, we'll attract uh, advertisers, you know, big advertisers, car companies, and, and things like that. And the, the revenue will go up. So it's a mixture of product sales as well as uh, I'm, I'm writing a, a new book that'll come out. Um, there'll be speaking engagements, I'm sure, you know, and, and those kinds of things. But product sales, ad revenue, all of that comes into, into play. 
That's fantastic. So you mean I'm, I'm potentially going to get paid from some of these articles I'm writing? I love it. <laughs> I love it. You, you, you absolutely, not even potentially, you will get paid dollar uh, fifty per thousand views. And love so, it. you know, we, we, we have some aggregators that push traffic our way. We've only been up and running 21 days and we have about 300,000 page views already. So That's let's amazing. just do the math on that. We, we, we didn't have our ads up until like two weeks ago. We did a soft launch and we hadn't even signed up with the ad networks or anything. But had we had ads up on all those 300,000 would be 300 times the eight would be about $2,400. So we would have made about $2,400 in the first three weeks of it being up. Uh, awesome. And then of course, you know, we, we have to pay our writers. So 300 times a dollar 50 is, is 450. So the 450 from the 2,400, uh, what is that? Uh, nine, um, 1950, I guess be about 1950 would have been our profit. And then you pay your bills, you pay your, your web hosting and you pay your email lists and you pay, you know, you do all that kind of stuff. So it, it really is about volume. You know, if you're doing a million, that's about $8,000 a month, million page views, it bring you about $8,000 a month minus what you have to, what you have to pay, which would be, I guess, about 1500. So at a million page views a month, you're probably making about, um, you know, $6,500 a month. And at ten million, it's more like sixty-five thousand. That's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, and yeah, and when we were at twenty, when we were at twenty million page views, you know, we were doing quite well, and and um, um, they're a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder to make money uh, anymore um, with it. But I, I'm not going the Facebook route this time, obviously, because Facebook they retain the right, and it, it appears as though they're utilizing that right, exercising their right to just shut down conservative pages. So. Facebook is no longer a part of my um, strategy. A, a part of my strategy. Yeah. yeah, because now if somebody wants to go and become a, we do have a, a Facebook page. Um, we've not advertised it. We've not built it. Uh, anything like that. It's got maybe eight hundred fans on it. You know, and with the previous iteration, uh, the Positively Republican. Here's how the math worked there. So we were spending about twenty cents to get a fan. So we ran page promotions, right? And back then, you know, the big political figures might be Ted Cruz, right? And we would run an ad that says, do you love Ted Cruz? Then become a fan of Positively Republican. Then you'll love Positively Republican, the fastest growing conservative page on Facebook. Click here to become a fan. And then we targeted people who were already fans of Ted Cruz's page book, a Facebook page. Sure. And so um, we were spending 20 cents a fan, but remember I told you we had a million fans and we were making between 80 cents and a, a, or uh, 80,000 and 110,000 a month. So that's eight cents to 11 cents per fan per month we were making. So it, you can do the math, right? At eight cents, it would take two and a half months to get the 20 cents back that we paid to get a new fan. So that was the math. The cost of acquisition uh, cost of acquisition was 20 cents. We were making eight cents. So the time to recoup cost of acquisition was two and a half months. At 11 cents, when we had the big months, it was a month month and three quarters to get to get it back but you know there are some companies that will they're fine with 13 months to get cost of acquisition paid back and we were doing it in no longer than two and a half months that's amazing so given that facebook's not part of your strategy what about some of the other more free speech oriented um platforms folks like telegram signal you know gap parlor if they ever come back on folks like that Yep, we're going to utilize that. We already are utilizing that. Uh, the the woman who runs all of our writers and distribution, she gets paid. Uh, she gets paid. Um, Per thousand as well, uh, a, a, a fraction of what the writers do. But you know, when she adds it up across all the different writers, she makes pretty decent, pretty decent money. So she's reaching out to the, all the Telegram groups and those. But there's also a lot of aggregators, and these aggregators, they um, they got started. A lot of them when the Drudge Report started drifting to the left. Yeah. Um, the the Drudge Report. I I don't know if it's official now, but a, a lot of people think that he was purchased. Um, you know, the guy was making like $10 million a month or something like that. He had Crazy. like three staff people. 
Wow. I mean, it was just insane. When you're getting a billion views, a billion and a half views a month, the money racks up pretty quick. And and all it was was an aggregation site. He found articles he liked and he put them on a link page. Yep. Well, he, he started linking further and further left. He became an anti-Trumper. And, uh, and eventually a bunch of conservatives said, we need to do our own. So there's a whole bunch of them. And uh, one of them was started by a friend of mine who ran for Congress when I ran for the U.S. Senate. And so um, – those are uh, the people that we're going to target. And so we're developing relationships with them. When we release an article, we reach out, we send it to them. That friend of mine, he pushes, he, he pushes anything. He said, Chris, and, and I'll tell you, here's the integrity. When I was first thinking about this, I said, why don't we start a, a page together um, and, and uh, I'll run the website and you drive all the traffic there and we'll split the money. And he said, Chris, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, I'm a journalist. It would be wrong for me to funnel to something I was making money off of. And I went, oh, okay. He goes, but if you'll start it, I'll push anything you, anything you promote or anything that you write. So uh, he's been very good to us. And, uh, you know, we, we, we do good, good work. It's not crappy work, right? If it you was bad, work. he wouldn't Are do it. Are you kidding me? It's awesome. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so now we, we just have to reach out to more and more of those aggregation sites. And, uh, and he's probably middle uh, in terms of size. There are some that have just tons and tons of, of um, you know, traffic, even more so than he does. So as we build out relationships with all of those, now instead of clicking and sending it to one person, if we're sending it to 15 of them, we go from getting anywhere between 10 and 60,000 um, views per article to, you know, 100,000 to 2 million views per article. Well, I got to tell you, I am fascinated by the business model aspect of what you're doing. And I think this is an eye-opener for a lot of the people that are listening. And I'm very excited to be writing for you. And I'll tell you why. I'm excited because my dream growing up was to be a writer. My dream growing up was ah. to write books. I've written a couple books, more than a couple actually. I've self-published them. Yep. And, you know, they've done they've done okay, but... It was always my dream to, to, to be a best-selling author, like to sell a million copies of a book, to have articles out there. Now, I've written a few articles, but it, it had always been on a dabbling basis because I never really believed that I could get out there and make it happen in a big way. Now, I've got a very successful business, and you and I are good friends, and you've said, hey, you write good stuff, Nikki, so come on and write. I'm telling you what, buddy, you're going to get yeah. a lot of stuff from me, a lot, and as I get to know the audience no, better, it'll be good. And I'll take the money. I'm very glad to take the money. But the main reason I'm doing it is I want to write. I just want to write. I want to have my work out there on a, on a website. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful. But from the point of view of my audience, I think it's wonderful that you're explaining all this to, to everybody because you're the first person who's created a, a site based on uh, some deep expertise that you have, and you've explained how to turn that into real money. So thank you for yeah. that, my friend. Yeah. God bless you. Absolutely. So listener, so look, if you are listening to this, you got to get that Chris Widener's the real deal. And you got to go check out politicrossing.com. I've written uh, some articles there. I'm going to be writing a whole bunch more by the time this episode gets out. I'll probably have a, two or three dozen articles on the site. You got to check it out. It's fantastic. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. There are going to be some really, really smart people writing about a whole lot of topics, anything from faith to culture to, to politics. And I think it's, it's worth your time. But more importantly, you need to listen to this episode a couple of times with uh, a pad and a pen, and you need to take some really detailed notes because whether or not you're interested in creating this type of website for yourself, there's a lot you can learn from what Chris has done. So make sure you check out Politicrossing. And Chris, what's the name of your latest book? So let's, let's pump that up a little bit here as well. Yeah, the latest book is called Lasting Impact. Subtitle is How to Create a Life and Business that Lives Beyond You. And it's a, it's kind of a legacy book, you know. Uh, by the time this comes out, uh, the podcast comes out, I'll be probably right around my 55th birthday, which means Yahoo, I get uh, half-price movie tickets now. <laughs> um, 
but uh, at the time we're recording this, I'm four, uh, 54, and that's about the time you start thinking about legacy. You know, I've had a great life. I've I've done. I mean, I've, I've, I just think back over the things that have happened to me in my life, and just uh, you know, for a lot of people, if any one or two of them would have happened, it would be crazy. But it, I've just had one thing after another. I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump in many ways. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and and so I've had a successful life. There was a book written a long time ago um, by Bob Buford called Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. And it's really kind of where I'm at. I mean, I've kind of been there, done that in a lot of different areas. And now it's like, okay, how do I make sure that this lasts? And that's what the book Lasting Impact is about, is making sure that your life creates ripples that continue to, to move outward as you, uh, as you pass away and, and are no longer here. So, so I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to get a copy and you and I should talk offline. Cause it's like a signed copy, but I'll order a bunch more yeah. to give out to some of my clients here. I run a couple of masterminds for uh, my clients, one for thought leaders and one for entrepreneurs with seven figure plus businesses. And it would be really, really cool to have you do a short, maybe Zoom talk for some of these guys about your book, and and I'll I'll make sure we get copies of your book over to them. If you'd be up for that, I'd love to do it because your work is stellar. Um, you know, I I bought a lot of your books. I've given away a lot of your books to our clients in the past, and uh, I I I do that a because, you know, we're friends and I want to support you, but B, because you really do good work and what you have to say is going to make a difference in people's lives. So uh, thank you and God bless you for doing that. So we like Well, to you know, if you think about it, if you think about it, there's a lot of men out there. The, the number one uh, rate of suicide is affluent white men. And and this was something that uh, I used to have a podcast with a guy. We talked about men's issues, and and we did a whole episode on suicide. And what's interesting is is the fastest growing uh, demographic is affluent white men. And so we were asking why. Well, here's why. These men were taught as they were young men, boys, and then young men in college and coming out and getting into the workforce. They were told that if you get the house and get the beautiful wife and get the beautiful kids and send them to a beautiful school and get yourself a beautiful vacation home and drive a beautiful car, you'll be happy. And so what did they do? They got the beautiful wife. They bought the beautiful house. They had the beautiful kids. They got a beautiful Labrador. They drove a beautiful car and they got the beautiful vacation home. And he still wasn't happy. And so he kills himself because he thinks if if uh, if I've done everything that I thought I could do and I'm not happy, then I'm doomed. And this is a book that talks about how to make sure that your life is fulfilling and purposeful and meaningful so that it's not dependent on the house, the wife, the car, the kids, the vacation home, and the dog. It's dependent upon the impact that you make in the world around you. Uh, certainly, that includes impacting your wife and kids as well. But um, it's it's an important book, and many people have said it's my best book. Um, I still like my Angel Inside book um, that That's I a great did, book. but uh, but uh, no, the, a lot of people have said this is 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 an even better book. Now, that is a terrific book. If this is an even better book, I'm looking forward to reading it. So, Thanks. Chris, we wrap up the show by asking you for your top three expert action steps in bullet point form. So these are your three best pieces of advice that you want my listener to take away to improve their business and, frankly, improve their life and their legacy. So what do you say? Well, first and foremost, whatever you're thinking, think bigger. It's it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. So if your goal is uh, is X amount of dollars next year, make it X plus Y. Stretch yourself a little bit. I think the second piece of advice that I would say is um, is to how would I put this? It, it's to do it every single day. Is to be disciplined. People ask me all the time, "How have you written twenty two books?" I always give them the same answer: one word at a time. That's how I wrote 22 books, one word at a time. And if you would start writing one word at a time, you could write 22 books. <laughs> you could write 40 books. You could write 50 books. Anybody can do whatever they want to. How'd you lose 100 pounds? One pound at a time. I didn't lose 100 pounds, but I'm saying if somebody were to ask, how'd you lose 100 pounds? One pound at a time. Just focus on the next pound and keep, then take the next pound, right? So think big, 
do it daily. And then the last thing is I would say, figure out how to handle the plot twists. There's going to be a lot of plot twists in your life. And in the book, I tell the story of a friend of mine named Andre Wadsworth. Uh, Andre is a dear friend of mine, lives here in Scottsdale. When he was a young man in high school, he went to a little tiny Christian high school in Florida. But Andre's a big boy. <laughs> he's big, 6'5". Well, now he's probably 6'5". 300 pounds, but he came out of college or out of high school and he wanted to play for Bobby Bowden. And, uh, and so he went to university of Florida or I can't remember if it was Florida, Florida state, whichever one Bobby Bowden was the coach. People from Florida are like ready to just shoot me now because they don't mix those two up, but I sure don't. (laughs) I, I believe, I believe he played for Florida state Seminoles. Anyway, um, he, he walked on uh, because Bobby Bowden said, son, you went to too small of a school and I don't know how good you are, but I'll give you a chance to walk on. Long story short, four years later, Andre was the third pick in the NFL draft. First pick, Peyton Manning. Second pick, Ryan Leaf, the big bust out from Washington State. Yep, third pick, him. Andre Wadsworth. I asked Andre one time, he spoke at a conference I put on, and I said, what was your what was your uh, your stats from your combine? Combines when they go and they show off how fast they can run and how much weight they can lift. And uh, he said, Chris, I was six foot five, 260. And uh, I ran, I think he said he ran a 4640. And I was like, holy cow, that's like getting hit by a train. And he said, yeah, but the really crazy thing is, I had a 39-inch vertical jump. And I was like, holy <laughs> moly, what a beast. That's well, so the size of Michael drafted. Jordan's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He gets drafted into the NFL, and long story short, in the next three years, he had 15 knee surgeries, and he washed out. He signed a $45 million contract. I think he walked with about $30 million. And a lot of people are like, a lot of people listening here are like, well, at least he walked away with $30 million. You don't understand the psychology of a world-class professional athlete. They don't do it for the money. They played for free in, in elementary school. They played for free in junior high. They played for free in, in high school. They played for free in college. They play because they love the game. Now they just got that as the bonus, right? Well, Andre washed out of the league. And after washing out of the league, he had to figure out what to do. I mean, the, the, the title of the book uh, chapter is Plot Twist. And I asked the question, what happens when what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen? And so all of a sudden, he bought into some car dealerships. He ended up, uh, he owns a, a, a ice cream shops around Phoenix called Cremistry. Really cool concept if you look it up. Um, but ultimately, he started a church. And he started a Bible study first, and he had 150 athletes from all the pro sports coming, right? So the Coyotes, the Diamondbacks, the Suns, uh, you, you know, he had all the hockey, baseball, basketball, and football players coming. And then he said, well, maybe we should start a, a church. We got 150 athletes coming. Let's start a church. Well, Andre's not a preacher. So he decided to uh, to hire a preacher, and he became the administrative pastor. Well, Years after starting that church, that church became one of the 10 fastest growing churches in America. And really ironically, considering I tell Andre's story in in my book, Lasting Impact, the name of that church is Impact Church. And every Sunday morning, when you walk into church, they have a big tent like you would use, you know, at a swap meet or something like that, uh, because it gets really hot here in Scottsdale. We had 144 straight days of over 100 degrees temperature last year. And uh, as you walk into or out of the church, you pass this tent and in the tent is water. I mean, a thousand water bottles every weekend they give away. And who's standing there giving them away? Andre Wadsworth, the big gentle giant. And he thought his impact was going to be in football, but a plot twist happened. And he made his impact by starting one of the 10 fastest growing churches in America, helping literally three, four, 5,000 people every single week with their lives. And, and so one of the things that I challenge people is, is what are you going to do when there's a plot twist? Because there will be a plot twist. You might go through a divorce. You might go through a bankruptcy. Uh, someone close to you may die. Someone close to you may betray you. Um, there's always these plot twists. And successful people, the people who make an impact, they know how to handle the plot twist. They know how to handle what is thrown their way and keep moving forward. So thinking big, doing it daily, and being able to handle the plot twist. Those are, are my three actionable points. 
Brother, those are three awesome expert action steps. I took notes on all of them, and I'm definitely going to uh, work hard to make sure that I implement them to the best of my ability. There's a couple that I already do implement, you know, but I can do better on them. I can do better on thinking bigger. I think pretty big, but I can do better, a lot better. And being consistent every day, I'm consistent with certain things, but I'm not consistent with everything. And got no choice on the plot twist. They're coming your way whether you're ready for them or not. So you may as well get ready for them, right? So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, listener, Chris Widener's the real deal. Make sure that you go to politicrossing.com. Make sure you pick up a copy of his new book. We're going to put all of that in the show notes. But here's the other thing I want you to do. I want you to have been inspired by what this man shared and revealed today. I want you to be thinking to yourself, what is my dream? What do I want to be remembered for when it's all said and done? How do I go out there and get all the clients I need so I have all the money my family and I could use? And I'm going to give you an answer. The first thing you want to do is you want to go to my website, ecircleacademy.com. You want to make sure that you Watch the free masterclass, which is all about how to build yourself a seven-figure-a-year income through leveraging your expertise. It's free. Take advantage of it. There's a free report there. It's all about how to add an extra quarter million dollars to your business as quickly as possible through taking some very clear, defined actions. It's also free. And then finally, there's a button there that says, book your free success call. Now, click on that, but click on that only if these two things are true about you, one, that you are ready to take action. I mean, seriously ready because 2020 was a crazy year and you want 2021 to be your best year ever. So you're done with dabbling. And two, only click on that if you're ready to hear the truth, because I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be okay. I'm going to give you the unvarnished truth about the situation you're facing and what it's going to take to get out of it. But I will give you the hope that you can get out of it. So if you're ready to do that, click on that button and book that success call. Chris, my man, it's a real honor to have you here on the show. And please do come back again. You always bring gold for me and for my listener. You know, anytime you ask, I'll be there. Thank you, brother. God bless you. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Chris Widener, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the other platforms on which this podcast is found and check out the show notes and to take advantage of all the resources that I just offered you, go to ecircleacademy.com. Until next time, goodbye.